Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15 is our text. It is a two-part uh, sermon that I began last week and going to finish up this week and is the last of our series on the stewardship that we chose to do through the fall here. So um, these are amazing passages, um, found great joy as I studied them. Um, by the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed, probably you didn't, um, our drum set fell apart. Uh, we've had it for a long time, and uh, some dear brothers and sisters in the church just forked up the money and said, buy new ones, and so Juliana was pounding on some new set of skins there, so um, uh, we should just mention that, because when we're in need, the Lord seems to meet them, so we are grateful for that. Follow along as we read our text, and then we can sit down. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As is written, he scatters abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for the sowing and then increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully, support, fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And while they, also, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You may be seated. Lord, it is amazing that you let us participate with you in the ministry of the gospel. We were in such need of it ourselves. We were hell-bound sinners. We had no place with you. We were separated by sin. Uh, we were deserving of your wrath, Lord. The Bible is clear on that. And yet, God, in this infinite, indescribable gift, as Paul says, you sent Jesus, who was rich but yet became poor for us. And now, Lord, you let us participate in the glorious gospel from not only this pulpit, Lord, but our individual lives and the lives of those we support around the world, Lord. You let us participate with what you're doing. And Lord, we, we find that uh, marveling that we get to join with you in the rescue of souls, the participation of the gospel. So Lord, as we learn on stewardship, may we be as the text said, Lord, those who give for thanksgiving and gratitude, Lord, in the glory of the Lord, not under pressure, Lord, not giving because we have to, but because we get to, Lord. So, Lord, bless us today with your word. I pray that it would strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. I got thinking about Thanksgiving this week. If you know me at all, you know that's my favorite holiday. Um, 
It's great. There's no gifts. You just sit around, be thankful, and eat. It's just a wonderful holiday. Is um, something I look forward to every year, and it's a great time. Family gets together. Um, we usually we have big sides of both of our families are large families, and one or the other. We all get there, and we have a great time together. It made me think about the church, though, a little bit this morning. Um, as I thought, every every Sunday is a Thanksgiving here. It really is. The family comes together. Um, Ron just supplied um, the hors d'oeuvres and in the side dish for us. And now, oops, and now we get to have the, the main dish, the word of God. Isn't that true? And this is what we do every week, and it's full of thanksgiving and praise, and we're, we're excited to be together, and we enjoy this. I, I pray that's true of you. And, and so this is a great thing, and part of that is this, the giving of the word of God, the word of God coming and piercing our hearts, our, and then us responding to the word of God throughout the week. Um, in our personal life, in our marriage, our raising of our children, how we give to the Lord, how we support the gospel going forward. And so it is a great day, and, and Sunday mornings should be looked at as a great time of thanksgiving for each one of us, Lord. And let's, uh, let's look at it that way. And so if there's somebody here that you haven't seen for a little while, or not here that you haven't seen for a little while, call them this week and say, hey, you're going to come to Thanksgiving dinner Sunday? It's at church. Invite them. We miss some of them who have been busy, and you know how that gets. We get busy. Now, our text is a beautiful text. It lays within a greater context of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul is on the way to the Corinth church to gather a gift. He has been working his way through Macedonia, which would include Philippi that we're going to get into here in the book of Philippians. And he's making his way, gathering a gift and sharing the gospel, but gathering a gift to take back to the poor saints of Jerusalem. Literally poor. They were desperate. They had been persecuted severely. Um, they had lost most of what they had. You remember, as a, as a Jew coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in this time and age, you lost everything. You lost your homes, your businesses, your families. They disowned you completely. And so there is a, uh, a massive need. And he is working his way towards Corinth, but he sent them a letter to deal with a lot of other things, but in a portion of the letter says, get ready, give, I'm coming, so when I get there, I don't have to try to pull this out of you. Be ready to join in the participation of the gospel together. So that's the greater context that our text lies in this morning. We need to understand that. However, it is a text that flies in the face of um, modern world today, or even uh, the prosperity gospel uh, of false Christianity that floats around today where, well, you give and God gives back to you and, and, and you get what you want and Jesus is the answer to all your wealth and all those things. It really isn't that. The Bible tells you to give. It tells you to give and it's a very different financial plan than the world has. Jesus wants you to join with him in what he is doing with the gospel. Now, certainly there are verses that say, look, you sow, you reap. And whatever you sow, you reap, and, and that's how it works. But it's more than that as you begin to describe these verses and look at them. This is a principle as we started last week that we saw all through the Old Testament, that the Lord blesses those who give. He returns that so that they can be participate in the gospel with him. But he also spoke of how to give, and that's what we saw in verse 7, if you remember. 
Notice verse seven says, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you remember last week, if you heard last week, we, we made a run through the Old Testament because everybody has a 10% term in their mind, right? We, we've just learned that or, or maybe, the, maybe it's new to you to study the Bible in this way. Um, but we understood where that come from. And we remember, we went all the way back to Genesis. Before there's ever law, before there's ever a nation of Israel, we find Abraham, or Abram at that time, giving a tenth to the king of Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, which is the king of Jerusalem eventually, which Melchizedek is used as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this 10% given. Jacob gives 10% of all he has to the Lord after he sees the dream laying his head on the rock and later becomes the resting place of the nation of Israel. Um, and then the law does all that and shows us 10% of their, their produce, their livestock um, to, to take care of the Levite tribes. We saw particularly throughout the book of Deuteronomy as we looked last week that they, they were to give with great joy. In fact, giving was part of the celebration. You came, you brought your family, you brought your, your lambs, your produce, your grain offerings, your free will offerings. You brought all that together. You came as a family, you came into the city, and you gave with great joy. That's always been God's plan, that believers, followers of God, his children give with joy. He's taught that from the beginning. But you remember, we also looked what happened. Soon idols crept in, and they began to worship the gods of the other nations, their joy left, and their giving left. It was stark reality. Many people came up to me last Sunday and said, wow, when we put idols in our life, our giving goes down. It's always been true. Pretty soon, and that's why we do a series every once in a while on stewardship, because we find ourselves, all of us, engaged in things where it seems like we are just overloaded with finance problems and people and money going here and there, and pretty soon our joy is gone as well. And so we stop and look at that. We saw that they tried to make the correction as a nation. Remember, they tried to make that cor correction after um, the Greeks had taken them uh, and sacrificed a pig on the altar. And it, it just it really woke the nation up. And they began to go back to, to worshiping a God, the living God, not, not multiple gods. And they tried to get back to the sacrificial system. And there's where the Pharisee system came up in between the intertestamental periods. But the problem was they didn't worship God with joy. They didn't see him as alone, as the only way to be rescued. They began to lean on their legalism. And that put them into great disturbing giving. In fact, it isn't hard to study the New Testament, particularly in the life of Jesus, that when we see giving, it's a hardship. Widows are giving the last of their pence because they're trying to stay up with a system. There's no joy in it. And here, Paul is trying to correct that. And what's fascinating, when you look at this type of giving that Paul is speaking of, look again with me at verse seven, it, it does parallel the Old Testament giving in some way without giving percentages. Notice he says that each one should do or give just as he has purposed in his heart. So here, this idea of purposed in his heart is a very important purpose. Um, the Bible says that there were votive offerings in the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about that last week. A votive offering was a vow. You give a vow to God. God, this is what I'm going to give to you. Hannah did this with her firstborn, the great prophet Samuel. They vowed something. They gave it. And, and votive offerings were very important to God and very par much part of the worship of the temple. You vowed. And, and so Paul's not using the exact language, but he's using very similar language. He's saying, purpose in your heart. 
purpose in your heart. Give as you purposed in your heart. So there's a plan. There's something there you've planned to give. We, we said this last week, and it's true, and you can go see these, that the church is giving, I think, uh, internet, uh, universal church is giving 1.3 of their income, percentage of their income to the church, and it's dropping, dropping all the time. Um, and the world gives more. The world gives far out, far out gives the church uh, today to um, things like whatever um, nonprofits they can give to. And, and we found that as we talk to people that sometimes we just have a lot of believers who come to know Christ and they're growing. They just don't know what the Bible has to say. And, he, and this is a good point here. Purpose in your heart to give to the Lord. Plan to give to the Lord. Lord, what, what can I give to you? What do you want from me? Pray, talk to the Lord. That's why we gave those cards there for you to examine them with your family and say, Lord, what, what are we giving now and what do we give? So he's using this kind of terminology. So purpose in your heart. Notice the next phrase. He says, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Well, another great aspect of Old Testament worship was a free will offering. It was a beautiful offering. They, they, above their grain offerings and their produce offerings and their livestock offerings, remember they gave about 35% of all that they had every year when you add it all up. They would give what was called a free will offering to the Lord. They would just give to the Lord a free will offering, just out of the goodness of the heart, just no strings attached, nothing, nothing given in the law. It was a free will offering. And I think that's what Paul's using here. He's using don't give grudgingly, and don't give under compulsion. It's a free will. It's a free will offering. Then he also, um, over this joyous giving that was recorded throughout the Old Testament, he calls this a cheerful giver here. Be a cheerful giver. You notice, uh, or you remember last week, I told you the Greek word is, and it's a, it's a word we get the word hilarious from. And I thought that was hilarious when I ran across it. And I just didn't see that coming. I said, Lord, I didn't catch that. God loves a hilarious giver. One that gives with great joy to the Lord. Lord, this is yours. It's all yours anyway, right? Don't we believe that? Do we not as a church, as individuals, believe that everything we have comes from God? If you don't, we have to start at A, again, and work, and we can talk after church. But everything you have, that person sitting next to you, that car parked in the parking lot, the health that you have, the breath that you breathe, I mean, think all that you have belongs to the Lord. And he says, be a cheerful giver, give of the Lord. Now, one last point before we move on. Notice it said that God loves a cheerful giver. What struck me, and we, we pointed this out last week, was there's a special object of God's love is towards a cheerful giver. And remember, we talked about God loves the world, for God so loved the world. He has, he has a love for his creation, right? All men he loves in a general way. There's a general love for his creation that he created, longing for all of his creation to worship him. But there's a unique love he has for believers. We have plenty of verses that tells us that he has an agape love, a beautiful, um, unconditional love for his children, those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this verse says something unique. It says, for God loves a particular believer, a cheerful giver. There's an object there. He's, he's after, he loves this. There's a unique love that he has for this person who gives cheerfully. Now, a lot of people give, but they may be giving under compulsion or grudgingly. They're not given a free will offering. They haven't purposed in their heart. The bag comes by or the box is in the back and it goes and you, whatever I got, you know, just give something. But God loves one who purposes, who gives from his heart, 
and is very, very happy about it. That's what he loves. He loves that type of giver. And, and I want to be loved especially by God. I, I hope you do in this unique way. It's, it's fascinating. And so we come to, that, to the end of that last week just with realizing God loves a hilarious giver. And, and I think it's all gospel driven, right? And that's what we're going to see in the rest of this text, that there's a gospel that's driven this. Now, that's the first two points as far as we got last week. We will close this out. Let's move. Number three. The magnitude of our generous God. There's a magnitude of our generous God that God that Paul wants to point out here. Look at verses 8 uh, through 10 with me. Just particularly verse 8 here. We'll start here. And God is able to make... Now notice, I'm going to put some emphasis here. And they're all coming off of a Greek word that we get paz, or we get the word all or every from. Okay? He uses it five times in this text. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficient in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. Isn't that interesting? When, when you translate a passage, particularly from the original language into, into English, when there's five words that are the same in one, in one verse, you should pay attention to that. And I said, wow, there's five times he uses this Pantas, a word that, to remember everything. And he does this. He wants us to know. And so Paul's striving to communicate the depth of God's generosity to us. Yes, he wants you to be a hilarious, joyful, non-having to give, give because you get to give type of person. But now he reminds you how generous God is. He's a very generous God. He's very good to his people. God's grace is, is, in a sense, off the hook when you think about it. It just keeps coming. You all woke up this morning, you have breath in your life. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God, especially when breath is hard sometimes for some who are struggling. Um, and now, yet, we have breath, and yet we have life. Electricity, you got up, you flipped on the light. It worked. Water came out of the shower head. Kids, mom had food on the table. Might have been cereal, but it was there, right? Your car went out. It started probably for most of you. Or you had a friend pick you up and bring you or something. You begin to realize how great God is. His grace is off the hook when you start to think about how much it filters into everything into our life. So many of you commute. I have to get out there once a week and go to the seminary back and forth. And I'm really grateful I actually work four miles from my house. I'm not sure I'd be a great commuter. But I think about it all the time. God, the people of Grace Bible Church are on this highway every day. They're pounding the miles up and down this NASCAR five-lane highway out here they call one-on-one. And there's people putting makeup on and texting and, and I mean, it's crazy out there. I mean, we, this is the first town we lived in that had stoplights, so we're trying to get used to all this stuff. And I'm thinking, Lord, it's just by the grace of God these people come home every night. Right? And you just think about God's generosity to us in so many ways. He has no limits. He has no bounds. He's completely sufficient for everything you possibly might need in life. He says you don't have because you don't ask. I own it all, the Lord tells us. I will meet your needs. Notice the term he is able here in verse 8. God is able. 
He's able, it's a strong word. We, dunamis, um, the English word of dynamite came from this, but it's the idea of power, right? He gives, his giving takes faith, doesn't it? Giving takes faith. And, and we're challenging us as a church, all of us, leadership included, are we giving? Have we looked at our giving? Can we increase our giving for the glory of the Lord? We're looking at it together, but it takes faith, doesn't it? Because as soon as you give something, there's less there, right? And you know your budget, and you go, I don't know where it's going to come from. It's tight. But see, he says, look, he's able. He's able to help you. And so faith takes, giving takes faith. And, and, and God wants you to know that he has power to meet your needs. Trust him. He's a great God. I, I, years ago when I was a young, probably teenager, I just learning to trust the Lord in the area. I remember one day particularly, I was wrestling with faith, just trusting the Lord. And I remember saying this to God, uh, and, I, and I've repeated it many times through the years. I, I remember saying, God, you saved me not to drown me. Because I was facing some decisions and overwhelming and knowing that these steps of faith were, were life-altering for where I was gonna go and God's pushing me and calling me into ministry and I, I know what that life's gonna entail and, and the choices are gonna have to be made through it. And I remember just wrestling with that and saying, God, you did not save me in order to drown me. You love me. You're a generous God. And, and Paul knows this. Remember, Old Testament is their Bible they're using. The New Testament isn't completed yet. Um, and they're, and he's, he's thinking through the Old Testament as he writes these things. And he's maybe thinking of verses like Deuteronomy 4.37. And he, God, personally brought you from Egypt by his great power. Nehemiah told the nation, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And a family favorite of our family is Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. And by your great power and by your outstretched arms, nothing is too hard for you. What a great verse. And he's reminding them of that. Because it's going to take faith to give. And the Corinthian church was struggling with, with self, right? They, they couldn't even get in line in order to share a prophecy or, a, or some truth that they wanted to share about the Lord. And he's saying, look, I want you to give because it will humble you and it will cause you to trust the Lord and he'll meet your needs. So truly God is able to make all grace abound towards the cheerful giver. He loves you. You're an object of his love and he'll give you grace. Human wisdom tells you to grab what you can get. Get more. Every commercial, if you watch golf at all, they're all commercials about investing, right? I think this is a lot of because rich people golf. Like, I don't know. It's everyone. And I mean, it's just, you know, all the question. And how long is your green line going to be, you know? You know, mine's like from here to there, and then it's done. And, and uh, I mean, I watch those things and go, I'm in trouble if I'm according to these guys. But I have a God whose green line never quits, man. He loved me. And it doesn't mean we don't wise invest. No, please don't take that in any wrong thinking there. You need to take what God gives you and be a good steward of it. But here Paul is saying, oh, there is no one better that can take care of you. See, faith in Christ teaches you to trust God's promise and give joyfully knowing his grace is gonna meet your need. He's gonna be there for you. Ephesians 3, just jot this down. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, there's our word again, Powerful 
to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's him living in us, that's the spirit of God. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Do you notice that all generations? That's why we wanna start this Generation Kingdom Fund and pay off a building and fix some things. We want, this, we want this building here. Though it's just a building, we want it to be here for a long, long time so the gospel keeps being preached. We want children to keep going across that street and keep being taught there. It's our goal of ours. Let's get free of debt. Let's, let's think about the gospel for the generation to come. Look at it with me at Romans 4. You gotta look at this text. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse 21. The whole context is faith here. Paul is trying to convince them that salvation comes by faith alone, not by anything else. And he's showing them Abraham was saved by faith. David was saved by faith. He's talking about faith here. And, And there's an unwavering faith that holds to Christ. Even though we may waver, we hold to the rock, right? He's the rock. We sang that. We hold, we hold to him. Verse 27, 21, and being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able also to perform. So if the Lord came, the promise of God that God was going to send his son to redeem mankind, those who put their faith in him and, and his, his redemption would wash all the way back to Adam and wash all the way forward to the last believer on earth that comes to know Jesus Christ, if he was able to do that, he's able to meet your needs. It's faith. It's faith. I think one of the things we love about our missionaries when they come is their faith. Now, God may not have called you to go to Mindanao, Philippines, but he did call Nilo there. And I think one of the things we love about them when they come here and they stand in the pulpit and they tell us what God's doing and they preach the word of God to us is we admire that, don't we? They don't know that they're gonna survive. Last year, they had one of their pastors killed by a Muslim. Uh, It's difficult there. And, And we admire that faith. I think what Paul's trying to do here is to remind us we don't have anything different than that. We just don't exercise it sometimes like we should. Oh Lord, may we trust you. Go back to our text here in 2 Corinthians Chapter 9. Certain verses I want to get your finger on, so I make you turn to them. Notice it says, so that always having all sufficiency. Eutarchia is the Greek word there. And eutarchia is this beautiful word that means the scriptures are sufficient, God is sufficient for us. But he uses a choice word here that actually referred to the temple. There is um, a dependency that God was going to meet them there when they came. He was going to meet them there when they came with that free will offering. And it's the idea of being independent of people, independent of circumstances, that God could work independent of that. And he would supply all of your needs. He gives the abundance for, for the food, um, for the needs that you have. Philippians 4.19 says this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. So the Lord is, is, is fully uh, supplying the cheerful giver with what he needs. He'll give you that. 
and he'll replenish. And, and just one more last sentence in this verse, and I'll move on to the next one. But there's a, it's cyclatory in a way here, right? We give, the Lord replenishes. We give, the Lord replenishes. We give, the Lord replenishes. And for most of you, you got a check this week. Or you get every two weeks or once a month, depending on where you're working. But you give out of that, and the Lord gives it back to you. Isn't that interesting? And I think that's the idea here, this cyclatory giving that God gives. Purpose in your heart, going to give, and I'm going to give back to you. And, and we start to teach our children. I said last week, I love when I hear chains fall out of when they're counting money on Tuesday morning um, and getting ready to do the deposit. I hear change because somebody's teaching kids to give. And I think that's neat. And they may only have a few dimes and a quarter, but they're learning to give. They're learning to give to the Lord. Look at verse nine with me. As is written, he scatters abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Fascinating, quick here, because um, I got to get moving here. Um, I think this verse was put in because Paul does not want you to think that he came up with this new idea. He conceived some new idea of giving here. He actually quotes us out of Psalms 112, verse 6. And it is the understanding that he does scatter abroad. He scatters, and the idea is a seed. You're going to see it all through here. He scatters his seed. He gives to those who are in need, particularly to the poor. His righteousness is going to be there. It's going to finish. You can hang on to that. Do what he's doing. Follow his lead. Deuteronomy 15, 10, right in the middle of the law, they were said this, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudgingly when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. This is what the Lord does. He'll give you seed. Look at verse 10 with me. Now he who supplies seed and the sower and the bread for, for food will supply and multiply your seed for the sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He gives you the seed you need to grow the bread. See how far he's going back? Now, I don't know how many people have made bread in here. I have not. But I have grown seed. And it's an amazing thing. When we went to plant hay, um, and we would grind a lot of our grain and feed the hogs and things like that, and it comes into a powder. You can see you could easily make bread out of it. But you just get this bag of seed, and you dump it in your drill, which is this big machine. You pull behind the tractor, and it puts it in the ground. And you know what? In about 11 days, there's some little green thing just pointing up. You go, that's amazing. The seed goes in the ground, dies, gives birth to something new. Paul uses it as a teaching of the gospel. And, and, and the seed, you know, from that, they were dependent upon that, that to grow, this grain to grow that they would take and they would grind and then they would make flour and they would make bread and that would sustain them. He says, look, I'm not only giving you bread, I'm giving you the seed to make the bread. So let's put it in today. Whatever you do, God has given you the ability to do it so you can make bread. He does that for you because he's a good God. He's a very good God. This is coming out of, I believe, out of Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, where he says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so, that my, so is my word goes out from my mouth and it shall not return empty. I, that's where it's coming from. Look, I'm, I'm doing it all. You just give back to me what I've given to you. And I'll send the rain. I'll give you the seed. I'll give you what you need. What a great blessing. God will give you what you need to produce glory for him. Fourth, joy, joyful giving produces thanksgiving to God. This is a fascinating section, and then I have to move quickly, but look at this. 
verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, that's Jerusalem saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. What's fascinating here is Paul, who hasn't even received the gift from the Corinth church yet, is anticipating the gift from the Corinth church and participating that they're gonna meet the needs and in return, the poor believers of Jerusalem are gonna rejoice and give glory to God. He's essentially saying this, Lord, we are thanking you for what you're gonna do in advance. That's what I think that verse says, those verses. The Corinth was not known for their generosity yet. They are in fact pretty selfish in some ways. But Paul believes that as they read this letter and the word of God burns in their heart that they're gonna give to these believers, these saints that are in need, and God in turn is gonna cause these saints in Jerusalem to bring great praise to the Lord. It's fascinating. See, he sees this happening. Now, Gina and I had the privilege, and it's not easy, but we had the privilege of raising support for many, many years. We were planting churches in places no one else wanted to go. And so we needed help to do that financially. And so we had partners, donors, that would give to our ministry. And every week we would get a list. I mean, every month we get a list of those who gave. And we literally would read over that and just weep at times. Just knowing that these people, and particularly these churches, were partnering for the gospel to go forward. And we knew what God was doing. He was saving these ranchers. He was saving these people out in the middle of nowhere that nobody even knew existed. And, and, and God saved them. And these, these people living somewhere in the city who were given to this ministry to see that happen. And I tell you, we just praise the Lord. And our church started to find out about it as it grew and it got planted. And people were realizing that people were giving money so they could have a pastor there, which they could never in those small communities ever afford to have a full-time pastor. And they would get overwhelmed with it. And they would thank the Lord and glorify him that there were people somewhere else that they never knew, never met, who were given money so they could hear the gospel and their families were getting saved. Isn't that beautiful? Now, we participate in that, not only in missions, but we participate that when we need help. There's those who need help. I received a letter this week, and let me read it to you. Many of you will know what this is about. To the church body and family of Grace Bible Church of Hollister. Bless you to everyone who pitched in to manifest God's loving kindness on such short notice last week. These people here who wrote this, their names are here. We would like to thank the church for boosting our spirits in a time of need and a panic. The sleeping bags, socks, gloves, beanies were especially welcomed with the cold nights. And the groceries were shared with the house as it was more abundant than the two of us needed. Thank you for your prayers and your generosity. Blessings to you. And they signed it. Now, if you saw that on the prayer chain, it went out. We had a family that were trying to help. It was in great need. People brought more than we could give to them. And they saw it. And they wrote this letter to me. I sat on my, Jessica put it on my desk and I came in from seminary and I was gone for a couple days and I, and there it is. And I said, whoa, that's first, second Corinthians 9. That's second Corinthians 9. The saints are rejoicing because somebody else did something for the glory of God. And she wrote a letter of praise to God. That's what this verse is about. See, the saints, they'll be supplied and they will be overflowing with many thanksgivings to God in verse 12. Look at verse 13. Because of the proof given by the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience and your confession to the gospel of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, think about it. 
the Gentile world was coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews, who were now what we call Messianic Jews, had put their faith in Jesus Christ, were not used to other nations being part of their religion. And so there were some problems. You can read it in Acts. They were struggling with Gentiles. Paul says, look, when you give this gift, this will really help them. They will see that Christ has penetrated your heart. They'll see your obedience. They'll see your confession of the gospel of Christ. And they will find glory, reason to glorify the Lord because of it. It's a fascinating result. Now, it doesn't mean here, verse 13, the proof of their salvation that if they gave, they were saved. That's not what he's saying. It's a confession that we give because the gospel's worthy of it. And it isn't hard to ask Nilo or Scott Conoval or just get the list of people that we say, well, do you see this where you're at? Oh, let me tell you about so-and-so who got saved. And we would have never been able to give there if that gift would not have come. This year, we sent a couple thousand dollars down to Nilo after the big um, tsunami went through. I guess it was a tsunami. And he told me stories of stuff that happened that God was so far out in front of them because they were able to come with a gift and say, we're here. And they had three churches in the area that were their churches that they planted, but there was other churches that were knocked down and people hugged, and they just decided to go help all those churches. And now they got inroads into places they never had inroads before. Because Grace Bible said, here's a couple grand. It's measly, it's not much when you think of tsunami, but here's what we can give. And, and what re- people rejoice with you. See, this is why we give so the glory of God, our Savior, will spread to more and more people. It'll spread. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.15. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spread to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Give so the glory of God will abound. That's, just a, that's what he's telling them. Give so the glory of God will abound. Finally, verse 14, look at this. Well, they also, by prayers on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And you say, well, man, it just kind of seems a little bit like one way, maybe. Here's these more wealthy Corinth church. They're giving to people that really can't give financially back. They're struggling. They've been persecuted. They have nothing Paul says, look, look, this is what they're doing. You're giving, you're giving to prove your obedience, your confession to Christ to bring glory to God. Look what they're doing. Verse 14 says, they're praying on your behalf. This, this beat up church in Jerusalem, this persecuted group of people, what they could do is they would give prayers back. They offered prayers of the saints of Jerusalem back to these people who gave to meet their needs. And notice what it says, the surpassing grace of God in you. We had two um, brothers come from, and Nilo mentioned it, his son and one other pastor from Mindanao. It took us 12 years to get them a visa to bring them into the country. And after 9-11, we couldn't get, we looked like there was no hope we could ever get them off Mindanao to bring them to our conference. We've been trying to bring guys to the seminary to train them to send them back. And finally, the door has been cracked. So I walk into Exalting Christ Conference this year in September, and there is a meal and Pastor Hybels. They throw their arms around me because I've known them for many years now. And they said, we're here. 
And I said, I can't believe it. You're standing on U.S. soil. You're at Exalting Christ Conference with us. And he said, we never would have been here without you. I said, oh, there's so many behind me. Um, that give, and, and it was such a beautiful scene because here we were able to just train these men for a couple of weeks, send them back. They're gonna just, they'll take the, what we taught them there and they'll just train people till the cows come home. Everything you pour into them and, and they're so grateful and they'll say stuff like God's surpassing grace in you has blessed us. Isn't that neat? To see that God uses us to do something. Maybe you had a rough week this week and you failed. Probably all of us fall in that category at one level or another. But God's reminding you here, I'm gonna use you. I, I wanna use you for this, not only just grace, surpassing grace. And then you walk in and you get a letter. <laughs> he did it. It was so much food, they gave it to other people in need. That came from Grace Bible Church. Surpassing grace. Surpassing grace. I wanna use verse 15 for communion. So let's pray and ask the men to come forward and the worship team and we'll use 15 to, to close out. What a beautiful verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Oh, Father in heaven, we can see this whole thing happening, Lord. We can see the Apostle Paul going up through Asia Minor, working his way through the Galatian churches making his way across around the top of the Adriatic Sea and coming through Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica, Iconium, Lystra. He's picking up gifts and, for this church, Lord, and he's sharing the gospel and he's being persecuted and people are trying to kill him. But he's set on getting the churches to participate in the spread of the glory of Christ. And he's working his way down and he drops into Corinth. And there there's a gift. They had heard the letter. They had read it. They had given cheerfully, Lord. And there was a gift ready to go back to minister to people. They did it from a free will, Lord. They purposed in their heart to give, Lord. And so that is, should be true of us, Lord. Father, you have been so gracious to us whether we are able to measure what we have by the world's standards and find ourselves making little or making a lot, Lord, that doesn't mean anything to you. You see us very rich in your son. And Lord, like the widow who gave a mite, she gave great. Though her view of what she was supposed to do was skewed from a legalistic system, Lord, she gave. And those who gave in such great abundance, Lord, but barely dented what they had. You did not take pleasure in that. So, Lord, we want to be cheerful, joyful, hilarious givers, Lord. We want to be a part of your surpassing grace in other people's life. So, Lord, I pray each and every one of us, Lord, families and singles and individuals here, Lord, that we would take a look at what we do, what we give. And Father, not give because of this set of messages, but because you, you, you just desire it. You want to participate. So help us, Lord, in this area. Father, we turn our attention to communion, which is, verse 15, the indescribable gift. 
Praise be to God for the indescribable gift, Lord. And so, Father, as we wrap this thought up in communion, Lord, would you settle things in our hearts today? Settle things, our giving, our, our life, our service, our time, Lord. Would you help settle that in our mind, Lord, of, of what we give to you? And may it be glorious to you. Father, thanks for this time in your word. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.